All of us at Discerning Hearts thank you for your help and support of this vital ministry. Discerning Hearts is a 100% listener-supported apostolate. During the summer months, donations slow down. So, now through Labor Day, please prayerfully consider making a generous sacrificial gift to fund truly life-changing Catholic programming and prayer. Our goal is to raise $40,000 for operating expenses. Since we are a not-for-profit organization, your donation is tax-deductible. Again, now through Labor Day, visit DiscerningHearts.com and click the Donate button or within the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks for your prayers and God bless. Today we're joined by Sister Joan Miller. She teaches systematic theology and Christian spirituality at Creighton University. She's written extensively on the Feast of St. Clair of Assisi, who we're celebrating today, and the early Franciscan movement, as well as Is Forgiveness Possible? And as a matter of fact, many other books. Quite a yes. prolific writer. Along the way today, we'll be talking uh, about a couple of sisters' books, Clare of Assisi, The Letter to Letters to Agnes, and Clare's Letters to Agnes. You're part of the Order of the Poor Clares, whose foundress today day is her feast day, St. Clair. Yes, it's a, such a wonderful day, the feast of St. Clair. Yes, St. Clair, her whole mission in life was really to make life better for the poor and to love God, to be with God, to contemplate God, and in doing that, in her living and in her life, to really serve the poor and to be with the poor at the same time. So she didn't separate contemplation from love of the poor. For her, for Claire, this was, this was integral, these two things. So Claire had this idea. Um, it was pretty, a pretty radical idea, actually, at the time. Claire had this idea of taking the dowries of wealthy women and giving those dowries to the poor, which was literally, in the Middle Ages, like turning the world upside down. You know, mm-hmm. the rich became poor, and the poor became at least able to survive. Mm-hmm. What was astonishing is that this movement really caught on. And uh, throughout Europe, there were many monasteries of women who um, who really were inspired by this poverty movement of St. Clair. A courageous woman. You know, I don't know if we appreciate the courage it took for this woman who was a member of the aristocracy, wouldn't you say? Yes, a nobility. A mm-hmm. nobility, right. a nobility. Wow. Yeah. Let's talk about her story. What was it that led her to answer this call? I think at every in every age there is a moment I think of crisis, and uh, young people often exemplify where that kind of tipping tipping point is. Mm-hmm. Um, at the time of Francis and Claire, you had uh, the nobility and you had a rising merchant class that were becoming very wealthy. Saint Francis was part of the merchant class. Mm-hmm. And in a mountain town, the nobility would live um, at the highest point of the town. And then as you came down the mountain, um, the merchants would, would be next. And then you usually have the town walls and the poor, of course, would live outside the walls. Um, so Claire, um, Claire's family is basically trying to protect itself against this these rising merchant concerns. Mm-hmm. The merchants are buying up more and more land. The nobility is finding it harder and harder to keep keep their money intact and stay in touch with their money. Um, and so they're losing land and the merchants are gaining land. 
In order to protect the interest of both, of course, you need to have to go to war. Mm-hmm. And so you have someone like Francis, Francis's father, Pietro Bernardoni, who sends his son to war to protect basically the roads by which they can bring merchandise from France. Um, and the role of the son is to do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. For Claire, the role of the woman, of the noble woman, was to, you know, to be able to manage a household, to be able to protect a household, to be able to uh, run the negotiations of a household. As her husband was out in the field doing whatever needed to be necessary to protect his land. Mm-hmm. So if you play this scenario, um, so let's say Claire would have gotten married. Mm-hmm. She would have gotten married to a nobleman who would have been in constant skirmishes, you know, on his sword, on his horse with all the neighbors. Um, and then in the Middle Ages, um, I mean, horrific things were done. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that we see, for instance, in Afghanistan, you know, even today, this is a medieval kind of culture where you have noses being cut off, oh. ears being cut off, terrible things being done to pim- people, women being raped, whole villages of women being raped. Mm-hmm. This is just life in the Middle Ages. There is no government to control things. There is no UN. There you know, these kind of things that we have today that are more or less effective don't even exist in the Middle Ages. Right. Mm-hmm. So Claire would have married this man, and during the day he may have been raping a village and, you know, putting spears through children and cutting people's appendages off. And then he would have come at home at night and wanting to have relations with Claire. Mm-hmm. And Claire, being a Catholic woman, I can imagine, we don't have this in the sources, but I can imagine her going to the bishop when she's trying to make the decision um, to basically get out of this arrangement. I can imagine her going to the local bishop, uh, to Bishop Guido and Assisi and saying, Bishop, you know, for the salvation of my soul, mm-hmm. I need to make this decision. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that Claire, you know, this noble woman, not only gets out of her house, but gets out of a walled city to be able to join Francis. Mm -hmm. And who lives on the city wall? The bishop. Mm -hmm. So from the beginning um, of the poor Claire's, the the local bishop has has a real essential role to play in allowing this particular charism to happen. Right. Now, how did Claire come about to hear about St. Francis? Obviously, when you hear St. Francis of Assisi, St. Claire of Assisi, what's the connection there, sister? Well, they live, um, you know, they live as neighbors, basically. It's just up a a short street up Mm -hmm. um, from one house to the other, from Francis's house to Claire's house. Um, Everyone in town knew Francis because he was such an incredible entertainer. This guy had the ability to sing. He had the ability to act. He could make up acts on the spur of the moment. He was just incredibly talented. He dazzled the Pope. Mm-hmm. You know, the Pope didn't give the Franciscan order permission to exist because they had a good rule. <laughs> because they didn't. <laughs> it was a tough one. Yeah. Tough rule. He, he, the Pope um, heard Francis preach. And he was amazed. I mean, he just kind of gave them permission to do. And they weren't given permission to do church preaching. They were given permission to do preaching in the town square. Mm, And this was basically the entertainment of the Middle Ages. So the Pope saw that he was good. 
He put on great dramas. He I mean, did. we have he did. the whole nativity. I mean, he knew how to The nativity, po- the to canticle of the sun was basically a religious play. And we know that because was Francis, when he, he's writing the, the second act of that, basically, he gave the brothers directions as far as how to perform it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Francis is very talented in those ways. So Claire, obviously, being a woman of Assisi and loving religious art and loving religious drama and anything religious, mm-hmm. um, had contact with Francis in that way. Francis was not a quiet soul. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, in a small town of Assisi, Claire definitely knew of Francis. However, Claire was a woman known for her spirituality in her own right before Francis came on the scene. Really? Yes. And in, it seems that Francis actually courted her. Now, why would Francis do that? If Francis wants to be a traveling preacher, first of all, that's a really hard job. Mm-hmm. You don't really have a place to stay. You're on the road. Being on the road in the Middle Ages is very dangerous. There's thugs everywhere. You know, there's not mm-hmm. a police force keeping things safe. You know, right. County mm-hmm. sheriff, <laughs> you know. So it's a, it's a dangerous and difficult job. You're begging and you get whatever you get to eat is what you get to eat. Um, so what happens when you are just in need of a vacation, tired, sick? You have to have some place to go. In other words, even if you don't have your own monastery, you have to be able to, in the middle, middle ages to go to a monastery where someone can take care of you. So before Francis has brothers, he starts building San Damiano for the sisters. Mm. Before oh, okay. there are any brothers, it is absolutely necessary for him to be associated with a women's monastery. When he needs chicken soup, when he has a cold, when he needs herbs, you know, when he needs medicine, mm-hmm. he needs someone with an herb garden. And simply when he needs rest or when he's very sick, for instance, when he had a eye disease, he's, he spent a lot of time at San Damiano and the sisters basically took care of him. Well, you can look to the Gospels, as I'm sure Francis did, to see who ministered to our Lord when he was in need. There was a couple women, I think, named Mary and Martha, mm, yes. who did a pretty good job of that. And actually, Francis's idea of religious life goes back to that particular biblical image. And Claire will hold on to that biblical image very... For Francis and Claire, they saw religious life as a male and female um almost kind of a a marriage. In other words, it was necessary for the women to have a role and for the men to have a role and for them to work in partnership together. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, the gospel couldn't be lived. Mm. So they saw this this way of living the gospel as the most perfect form of living religious life. You know, as a as a teenage girl, I remember hearing stories of Claire, who was, at the time, I heard she was very beautiful, and then she went out and she had gorgeous hair. And yes. there was the story of Saint Francis who took shears and cut her hair. You know, and uh, are those stories are are those yes, based absolutely. In fact? The the cutting of the hair of Saint Claire is a very important moment. Um, it's really her decision at that point not to turn back. A girl is marriageable in the Middle Ages because she has long and beautiful hair. Really? No man marries a girl with a bob cut. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody does that, you know. So if you have your hair cut, you are unmarriageable. Mm. So we know that after Francis cut Claire's hair, 
he took her to the monastery, the Benedictine monastery of San Paolo, which is in Bastia, which is just a little ways from um, St. Mary of the Angels in Assisi, in the lower valley of Assisi. There, Claire, um, Claire stayed with the Benedictines. This was a very powerful Benedictine monastery, and they had a papal... Papal permission to ex the, the sisters had the papal permission to excommunicate anyone who would touch one of their sisters. Wow! The abbess had the permission to excommunicate any man who would touch one of their sisters. So Claire Francis took Claire there, which meant that she was safe. We know that the next day, the knights there were seven knights in Claire's family. Remember, a woman at this time. Um, marriages are negotiated, and so a woman is worth a lot of money for a family in the mm-hmm. initial transaction, but then also, and more, even more importantly, in the money that the family that she marries into brings into the new family. Mm-hmm. Right. So a woman is, a, is very lucrative. You know, you, that's Especially why a nobility. You keep the woman inside the house. You protect this woman. You protect her virginity. You protect her reputation. You protect her. You keep her enclosed. Mm-hmm. So already they're stinging because Claire got out of the house, and they didn't protect her honor in that way. They come to, to San Paulo, they break into the monastery, and Claire reaches for, which is the chapel, which still exists, by the way, this little church in Bastia still exists, you can see it, it's in the cemetery in Bastia. Wow. So she clung to the altar cloth. I went there once, you know, a number of times I've walked there, and just, you know, touching the altar there is such a wonderful experience, because mm. it's the beginning of Claire's life, sure. really. And she clings to the altar cloth in this church in Bastia. And what does she do? She shows them her tonsured head. Mm. And no doubt, um, you know, they publicly cursed her in front of the sisters and left. So she is, after that, Francis takes her to a little monastery that's right next to, it's a little Beguin monastery right next to San Damiano. And probably, most probably Claire worked at getting that monastery ready alongside uh, Francis and the brothers. Now, by that time, Claire's sister Agnes had all had also run to join Claire, mm-hmm. and the knights almost killed her when when that happened. Claire nursed her back to health. Oh my goodness! Wow! So really, her name was actually Catherine, but when Francis uh, received her into obedience, um, he named her Agnes after Saint Agnes of Rome for being so you know for the martyrdom she mm-hmm. almost endured really for being so creative, not creative, but uh, courageous, Mm -hmm. Mm. being so courageous. My goodness, what an epic. And there, I mean, there's so much more to it. It, When she, when when did she decide to form an order of her own? Well, in our day and age, after Trent, we became, and even after this last code of canon law, um, Americans in particular became very conscious of canon law and canon law for religious life um, as if canon law, in a sense, defines life. Mm-hmm. Historically, actually, um, for Catholic religious life, that's a backwards, that's sort of backwards thinking. Mm-hmm. It's really life that shapes law. Um, mm-hmm. It's sort of like marriage, you know, uh, you have law, Catholic law, around marriage, but 
without really married life, there'd be no law because there'd be no sense in it. Mm -hmm. sure. <laughs> so um, for Claire, it never was about really, um, you know, she wasn't worried about becoming a canonical religious in that way. Mm -hmm. That being said, however, her relationship with the church is extremely important. But she always saw this as a relationship with the local bishop. In other words, she was always and fought to remain under the local bishop. She resisted efforts to become um, papally controlled mm -hmm. in that way. Um, and there were I mean, there are pros and cons of, of each of those things. But for Claire, what Claire wanted is she wanted to live the life of poverty that St. Francis chose but she wanted to live that life as a woman. So I, there's a movie, you know, where Francis and Claire, Claire is living the, you know, she gives her uh, her obedience over to Francis. And then the next scene is you see her around the campfire with the boys. Yeah. Yeah, I, this is just crazy. You know, it's just crazy. Um, it wouldn't have happened. No, it, didn't, yeah. it certainly didn't happen. Um, and it wouldn't have happened for a respectable woman at this time. Uh, Claire needed to have a monastery, but what did she choose? She didn't choose a monastery in town. She chose a poor monastery outside the walls, living there with the poor. Mm. And this is the 1200s. I mean, it's not like... It's a, it's yes, not it's like, the 1200s, the 13th century, right? Right, and it's not like the 1500s of Teresa of Avalos time. No. So, I mean, no. you have, it's, it's a totally different kind of... Yes, uh, although Teresa is a great follower of St. Francis. A very, she had a Franciscan spiritual director, and she was very influenced by, by Francis and Claire. But, you know, one of the important considerations here, too, sisters, is that having that monastery outside the walls, they didn't have a lot of protection, did they? They didn't have protection, which made Claire very vulnerable, and they didn't have access to wealthy people, and they had lots and lots of poor people coming to the monastery all, at all times. And most of the miracles that St. Claire, you know, um, did, when you look at her process of canonization, most of the miracles were done for poor people who just lived around the monastery. Uh, one time when I was in Italy, I um, went to a little little town where Veronica Giuliani had been. And um, it took me, I don't know, something like two trains, a bus, and a taxi to get to this little monastery. It was quite a deal to try to get there. Mm -hmm. And um, once I was there, um, I had gotten there right before noon. I had started out very early in the morning. I had gotten there right before noon in this little mountain, really remote mountain town. There are three different poor Claire monasteries in this tiny little town. Um, and I had got, I got to this place where Veronica Giuliani was, and I had just sat down and was starting to pray. And the sister came in and basically announced that they were closing closing things down for oh, no. siesta <laughs> and for, for lunch and siesta. So All that I, time to yeah, get there. I know, it was sad. So I said, I begged her, I said, I told her that I was a sister, a Franciscan sister, and um, I just basically begged her to stay. So she oh, no problemo, you know. Mm. So she locked the door, she locked me in. Um, and then they went about their prayer. So I could actually join them in their prayer, and then they had their lunch. But then, um, even though the chapel was locked, they kept the parlor open. And because I was in the chapel, which is right next to the parlor, I heard all these people come in. And, you know, they would have a few vegetables for this. They were all very poor. This is a very poor little mountain town, very remote. Mm -hmm. So they'd have a few potatoes or a few vegetables or a little fruit for the sisters. And then they'd have these problems. You know, I remember 
one lady, her husband had a brain tumor and another one came in with a sick child. And and they were telling these sisters, you know, all these stories from Mm -hmm. their lives, from these real lives. And it hit me at that moment. This is what Claire was about. There weren't any counselors in those in that day, you know. There weren't a lot of doctors that, you know, at least for the poor. Mm-hmm. And here in this remote little area on the hill of, outside of Assisi, she was basically her and her sisters served as healers, as counselors, as people who prayed for people, mm-hmm. um, and gathered people for prayer. San Damiano was an open church, so people from the countryside came to mass there. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful way of gathering the poor and taking care of them and still being in a monastery, not running around, you know, with a campfire. It doesn't surprise me that Francis would take Claire to a Benedictine monastery, not only for the protection, but yes. the fact that the Benedictines, their charism, of course, is one of hospitality. Yes. Always very open, very welcoming. And, and, and to this day, the Benedictines in this area are, are the Benedictines, examples of that. Without the Benedictines, the Franciscans wouldn't be. Mm-hmm. Even Francis, um, you know, he, we have this famous scene where he takes off his all his clothes in front of the bishop. Right. Mm-hmm. But the bishop says, uh, doesn't say, well, Francis, here's a 20, you know, we'll <laughs> help you get through to you, you know, you find a job. He doesn't say that. He basically gives him, you know, puts a few clothes on him and sends him on his way. Mm-hmm. So he has, and San Damiano at that time, before it became a uh, monastery for the sisters, was a very, very poor country church. We know that even the roof was caving in. It was falling apart. Mm-hmm. So Father Pietro, who is at San Damiano, San Damiano couldn't support two. Mm-hmm. He could hardly f- support Father Pietro. So Francis had to leave. So he left, and where did he went? He go. He went to uh, Gubbio, but on on the way to Gubbio is a is a Benedictine monastery, and he stayed there and worked as an oblate for quite a long time. Um, however, that, that particular time, the Benedictines uh, weren't doing so well either. They had a lot of problem with the nobles in Perugia, mm. and there were a lot of skirmishes, and there was bad weather, and so they were really suffering. There wasn't enough food for him there either. Mm. So at that point, then he left the Benedictines and went over to Gubbio, where one of his war buddies helped him out. Um, so he would get help from one of his war buddies and then worked in the uh, in the leprosy hospital there in Gubbio for quite a while before he got a, got himself sort of on his feet again. Mm. What would you? How would you characterize then the charism of the order that Claire would uh, establish for herself and for the sisters that would follow her? Uh, in one of Claire's letters, she refers to poverty as the one thing necessary. I think that's uh, without poverty. Uh, the Franciscan order makes absolutely no sense. Now, how a a particular Franciscan order defines their poverty, um, it becomes a matter of history. You know, Mm -hmm. so different Franciscan orders are founded for different reasons. Communities are are founded for different reasons. Uh, They're founded at different times in history. They serve different members of the population now. So how a Franciscan order... Uh, lives their poverty and defines that poverty in their own constitutions, I think is is up to the community and how they write their constitutions. But a Franciscan order who doesn't see their center as poverty, I, I don't think makes a whole lot of sense. 
mm-hmm. um, then then they become something else. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly that's true for Claire and for every poor Claire sister that I know. Uh, poverty and the living of poverty and the embrace of poverty in whatever form, um, in, in whatever way that means, a spiritual poverty, a real, like a physical poverty. Um, uh, you know, there are all different kinds of ways we live our poverty. Whatever that means for a particular community, um, without that, Franciscanism loses its, its home, I mm-hmm. think. It loses its roots. I think you see it so dramatically in Claire's life that by giving up what would have been considered the luxury of the type of nobility that she had and the prestige and just the comfort that that would afford her in her lifetime, it actually freed her by embracing poverty. Yes, It gave her a freedom that couldn't have been experienced unless she had made that sacrifice. No, because otherwise, I mean, I described the kind of life she would have had. It's Mm -hmm. it's pretty horrific. Um, So yes, she was free and not only... Um, free personally, but she was able to give from her free freedom. For Franciscans, poverty is not a dreary, horrible thing. Poverty is a gift that never stops giving. So, for instance, we know from Claire there's a, a, um, a document we have where someone gave one of the sisters in Claire's monastery probably another part of her inheritance and they distributed that. Even She's in the monastery. They already gave away her dowry. And now she gets more, and they give this away. Mm-hmm. So it's a, you know, having that poor Claire monastery in that part of, you know, in that part of the mountains at that point. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, for the people, the poor people living around her, was a gift that never stopped giving. It was no wonder that uh, the poor loved her as much as they did. You know, they, she gathered them for prayer. She was there for when they needed medicine and healing. And she was there as a counselor. And for Francis, too, we know there was a brother, Brother Stephen, who was mentally ill. And Francis would send Brother Stephen to Claire. Mm. And Claire would do all kinds, you know, what do you do with, with someone, you know, before Prozac and before all these drugs? <laughs> right. you know? yeah. And, and mm-hmm. so she would do things like she'd have Brother Stephen uh, kneel in her place of prayer. You know, now for someone who is mentally ill to kind of calm them, I mean, what, here you have this wonderful woman who has this wonderful reputation, and she gently takes this brother who is suffering from whatever he's suffering, but it must have been a terrible suffering, and she get, she offers him this kind of hospitality and gentleness. Mm-hmm. This is the kind of thing that Claire would do. Wow. I mean, it, it yeah. puts a whole different take for you as you, I mean, you have broken open her life so beautifully for us that going to Mass today and celebrating this feast yes. of St. Clair, I mean, this is the woman who, and in all of her actions, it's done with love, and it's done, and it's, it points you towards the love of Christ. Yes, yes. Poverty for Claire, this is incredible gentleness, very, very, uh, she's a very tender woman, very compassionate woman and a very smart woman mm-hmm. to to maintain um, it's very hard when you come from a very rich family to stay poor mm-hmm. <laughs> very mm-hmm. hard sure. mm-hmm. um, you know your relatives always want to give you stuff and in Claire's case um, and later on with Agnes of Prague when Agnes of Prague joins her too uh, the papacy wants to endow the monastery her monastery is not endowed oh really so there's not um, in the Middle Ages, as today, 
um, the key toward um, stability in a monastery is to endow it to the hilt. So no matter what the plague or no matter what the famine, um, the endowment will keep you running mm-hmm. for a number of years. Claire refused endowment. And she called this the privilege of poverty. So she asked the Pope for the privilege of having nothing. And, of course, the papacy is used to writing privileges. Oh, you can be exempt from this, and you can have so much in the bank, and you can have this alliance with this person in order Mm -hmm. to have more and more. So they're used to making alliances for monasteries for more and more wealth and more and more power. And then you have this woman coming along, and she's saying, Please, Holy Father, can I have nothing? And the canon lawyers had no idea what to do with her. (laughs) Really? (laughs) So the whole second part of Claire's life... um, is this struggle for the privilege of poverty. And Agnes of Prague, who's a Bohemian princess, the daughter of the king of Bohemia, who is engaged, by the way, to be married to Frederick II. So she should have been the, the Holy Roman Empress. Right. I was going to say, she's got, that's major queenship there. Yes, yeah. this is a major queenship. She was trained as a queen in Austria. She was trained for this job. And she basically gave it all up to 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 follow Francis and Claire. Yeah. Sounds like we're going to have to have Sister Joan back for St. Agnes of Prague. Oh, yes, day. she is. She is an, talk about an amazing woman. She also, she and Claire formed this partnership that um, that was just extraordinary. It's an amazing period in time when you look, again, you placed us there so well in the, in the 1200s, the 13th century. And that type of endowment, I think you could see that in the life of Mother Teresa in this century, yes. where she was being constantly asked, you know, you have to secure the ministry, you have to do these things. And she did relent in some cases and regretted it and then pulled, pulled back. back yeah. I mean, that's a modern day example of what Claire was up against. Yes, when I need to do spiritual reading, when I need someone to inspire me mm-hmm. for today, I read Mother Teresa. Mother Teresa... Um, for me, exemplifies many. I th- I think if Saint Clair came back and had to pick somebody in this world um, that would exemplify her spirit and her soul, it would be Mother Teresa. So for me, um, Mother Teresa, her her love of the poor, her care for the poor. Sometimes she's criticizing for not changing systems, mm-hmm. but whenever you care for the poor. You are changing systems. You are changing attitudes. You are getting people involved. You are changing society. Um, Look at what Mother Teresa has done in regard to life and the attitudes regarding life. So, so, you know, that a person like Mother Teresa isn't changing systems, um, I think is just not really true. Um, and Mother Teresa knew that she was, she knew she was changing systems. She knew she was changing attitudes. And she started a movement. Yep. Well, Sister, we want to thank you so much for being with us. What a thank great you. storyteller. you got to come back. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. it's great when the stories are real. Sister, again, thank you so much. What a pleasure. Thank you so much. Discerning Hearts provides content dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. To continue production of these podcasts, prayers, and more, go to discerninghearts.com and click the donate link found there or inside the free Discerning Hearts app to make your donation. Thanks and God bless.